Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. We have a problem, and most of us aren't even aware of it. Even in our lifetime, Christianity has evolved, and I'm going to suggest devolved a little or a lot, and it's constantly being marinated. The whole culture is marinated, so churches too, and secular humanism. So to be clear, when I say secular humanism, don't think evil. Don't imagine a dude with a red suit and pitchfork. For the most part, secular humanists are good folk, and they want to be better, and and they want all of humanity to be better. I mean, me too, right? They want to make the world a better place, so do we. They want to make it safe, more equitable, so do we. So our goals are overlapped quite a bit, because Christianity at least nominally wants that too. The difference, and I've said this in earlier podcasts, is this. One depends on our own wiles and efforts and hard work and wills and capabilities and objectivity, quote unquote. And the other depends upon God's wiles, efforts, hard works, objectivity, wills, and capability. And his working around us and through us. Now, again, there's an overlap. So how do you know? Well, here's a test. Where do you automatically run to when you mess up? When you feel hurt or experience injustice or racism or dehumanization or disappointment or loss, or you feel lonely, or you feel like you are a disappointment to God or others? Do you automatically knee-jerk shift to working harder, demanding more of yourself and others, being better next time, being more committed to doing the right things next time or just giving up? Or do you run to God's arm? And ask for him to intervene, his redemption, his power, uh, an experience of his love for you as you are. Two different paths. I mean, big, big time. I mean, simply put, one one's a path of shaming and fear. The other one's a path of a different motivation, love. Um, so don't think extremes in this life, like... There's a person who is perfectly gospel-oriented, and there's somebody out there that's perfectly secular humanistic. Uh, it's better to see a zero to ten scale where zero is total dependence upon yourself and your own capabilities, and that doesn't exist. And ten is being totally dependent upon God, and, and that's a spiritual unicorn. None of us are tens. Our passion here in the Gospel app is to help Christians lean towards the ten direction, and it should be noticeable. Right. If you start off at a two and you lean into a four, that's not a 10, but that's a 100 percent improvement that's noticeable. And here's another test. How would you answer this question? Is God ever disappointed in my actions? Is God ever disappointed in my actions? If you are like most Christians marinated in Christianityism, you may think that this is a slam dunk answer. Maybe, maybe not. In one group that uh, a small group that I was, we were discussing the great seminal news that God really does love Jesus followers as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father as we are, not as we should be or could be, right? The simple, uncluttered gospel. Uh, And to to say, proclaim to this group uh, that I said, this is true for us, not because of anything we've done or not done, said or not said, uh, right? It's true only strictly because Jesus' life and death mysteriously imputed all of these things into our bios, they're ours. 
And I pointed out that if we were to, by faith, look up into the eyes of our Heavenly Father, we would never, ever see disappointment or criticism or disgust, ever. So one kind saint hesitantly asked a very good question. This is what they said. I understand that because of the cross, God can never be disappointed in me, but isn't he disappointed in my actions? I mean, it feels that way sometimes. Isn't it better to think of God separating the sin from the sinner, right, that bumper sticker, uh, or loving the sinner but still hating the sin? Well, I get it, and that's what we've been told and what we generally think, but look, that, that's Christianityism. It, it's not gospel. I mean, I don't know how to be much clearer than that, and this will bother some people, but hey, that's what we do here at the Gospel Rant. Christianity says, yeah, all that's true. Yes, of course. But the gospel has to say an unqualified no to that. So there are two biblical reasons. There's more, but two big ones that we must push against our feelings in this matter. Uh, and and by, by the way, so push against the, the God being disappointed in, in, in my actions, right? Um, first, to suggest that God is disappointed in my actions or lack of actions diminishes how God feels towards sin. Paul writes in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. He doesn't say the wages of sin is his disappointment. Are you with me? It's grossly incorrect to imagine that God would ever be just disappointed in my bad choices or intentions or, or even slightly off-color motivations. The penalty for failure is never disappointment or even criticism. Right? Or standoffishness. God's not folding his hands and shaking his head. No, the punishment, the penalty, what those things earn is not disappointment, it's death. (laughs) And second, to suggest that God might be disappointed in my actions or lack of actions diminishes the work of Jesus on the cross. All right, listen. On the cross, Jesus legally paid 100% as the only appropriate legal substitute for all of my falling short Actions and being of two great commandments, to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and to love others. That's motivation and actions, right? And that would include even hard to love others, right? There was a trial before the celestial high court, the cross, right? God presiding. There was no need for testimony or evidence or defense attorneys. I was found guilty, and the penalty was death, right? Remember the first point? And Jesus took upon himself to satisfy justice's perfect demands for my motivation, my choices, and my actions. After that was done on the cross, it is right to say it is finished. So now the gospel says God cannot ever look at me or anything that I do or do not do critically with judgment or disappointment because he did all of those things already to Jesus in my place 2,000 years ago. You can't do it again, ever. That's double jeopardy. Even our secular systems recognize that that's not just, and it will not happen. So here's the good news, Jesus follower. When you look up into the eyes of God by faith today, right now, whether you feel like you've been pretty faithful today or not, you will only see his joy over you, his love and adoration towards you. If you could hear it, you would hear him dancing over you. And 
if you could listen closely, if you had ears that could attune to this, you might even hear God saying over you, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Wouldn't that be something? The Holy Spirit in you is saying that 24-7, and he is passionate about making you experience this shocking love that Jesus has already purchased for you today. This is important, for if you looked up and saw disappointment of any kind in your heavenly Father's eyes, how would you determine if he was disappointed in what you did or you? How would you know? It would be a horrible thing, right? So Jesus' follower. If you are feeling ashamed or guilty at what you've done or not done, or feeling that God has to be disappointed in you this time, here's the really good news. Look up. Ask the Spirit in you to make you, to to shove faith and confidence down your throat so that you would want to, newly want to, look into the eyes of your Heavenly Father again. And when you do, you will only see how much He adores you right now. Gaze into those eyes until your shame and guilt are diminished, right? By the way, this is one of the key reasons we created the dance. We've been talking about the forgiving path, but uh, we have a second path called the dance. First of all, Christianityism has deluded us into thinking that God's love and adoration of us as we are is somehow still dependent upon something we do or do not do, right? Why shouldn't we think that? All the rest of our relationships are dependent upon that effort. This is what secular humanism and Christianityism says. But this relationship is different. That's what the gospel says. Strictly because of what Jesus did for we children of God 2,000 years ago, God, humanly speaking, has to love us. Look, he does love us as we are, not as we should be. We can't add to that or take away from it. This is the simple, uncluttered gospel. You can get bookmarks from the website uh, that, that say this, so you can hear it over and over. You can vocalize it to your midbrain. God was disappointed in Jesus on your behalf. He was critical to Jesus on your behalf. So he will never be disappointment. So he will never be disappointed in you or critical of you or your stuff ever again. He is not looking, overlooking anything. It's already dealt with to the full extent of the law. And this is a head trip, right? It's too good to believe. (laughs) And you know, if it's too good to believe, it usually is, but not this time. So in The Dance, the-dance.org, we immerse you in the gospel message over and over. A drip, 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 uh, seven-stage mini-gospel presentation. In the end, at the end of two hours... We expect that you would experience this good stuff a little more than you did before you came to the dance. And second, we target the gospel presentation to that nasty inner critical voice in your brain that's telling you 24-7 that you're a disappointment to God, a little or a lot. We are are targeting, as well, your prefrontal cortex where you think and reason and choose, right? We're going to try to convince you, but you know... The midbrain is so much more important and has all the chemicals. Christianityism, secular humanism, typically limits its influence to your thinking brain, which, you know, from a neurological perspective, a neurochemical perspective, is chemically the weakest part of your brain. Your your midbrain has almost all of the neurochemicals. So we, we target your midbrain. Third, for the most part, Christianityism falls back to motivating change by using shame or fear, carefully disguised as reason. 
You know, when you're feeling shame or fear, you think you're acting reasonable. It seems reasonable to you, even though what you're doing is reacting. (laughs) Well, uh, the gospel teaches that you can actually access an experience of God right now. You ask, ask the Holy Spirit to make you feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. And this love experience, when you experience it, it makes you really feel loved and feel a little bit more motivated to love others, necessarily. Makes a big difference. Check out the dance, uh, particularly if you are, are, or by the way, someone you know struggles with feeling loneliness, not enoughness, disconnectedness, shame, or that they're a disappointment to God or others. You know who I mean. All of us. <laughs> The-dance.org, under two hours, online, evidence-based. Does it work? Yes. We can prove it. The scientific evidence is on the website. The gospel is so much better than Christianityism. We'll go further next time. Take heart, child of God. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.